Welcome back, everybody. Welcome once again to another episode, and I am so glad that you decided to join me today. Well, as you know, we've been in a series entitled The Divine Protection Plan. This is part number five. If you have not heard parts one, two, three, or four, make sure you go to our website at kingdomrock.org, and there you can catch it with the entire series. Or maybe you're joining us by way of podcast or by the Roku channel, or uh, YouTube or Periscope, however you're listening or watching, I want to let you know that Jesus loves you and I am so glad that you decided to take time out of your busy schedule uh, to share this word, this word with me today. All right, well, you know, before we get started, we're gonna to have to have a word of prayer. So I'll be praying for the word. Let's you and I, please, let's pray together uh, over the word of God today. And I'm also gonna be praying for you and your family. So let's go ahead and have a word of prayer right now. Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much in the mighty name of Jesus for this time that you've given us to gather around your word. Father, I pray that you would speak today by your spirit, and that you would lead us into all truth and show us things to come. Make your word just come alive. And Father, I also pray for my friend right now that is watching. Lord, I pray if they're in a time of desperation and things are going wrong, Lord, I pray that you would make them right, that you would heal them, that you would deliver them. And as you say in Psalm 91, I pray that no evil will befall them and neither let any plague come near their dwelling. But Father, I pray that they will be divinely protected, that you would keep them through the storm. And Lord, I pray that the sun will shine again brightly on their lives. I thank you, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much for joining me. All right, well, the last time we were here, uh, we were talking about fear and how we should not fear the plague, how we should not fear the virus or any type of deadly, deadly diseases, how we should not fear basically any evil because the Father is with us, you know, and he has, the, rather, he is the greater one. He is the almighty, the most powerful. And because of him, we don't need to fear. As a matter of fact, if we find ourselves uh, fearing, and the, of course, you know, the word fear means to honor or to respect or give awe to. If we find our, ourselves giving awe or paying homage or showing respect to that, you know, you're going to disrespect him. Think about it for a moment. You can't have respect to two at one time. As Jesus said, you, you can't serve two masters. We can't, can't say, oh, I fear God, I honor God. And at the same time, oh, I fear you and, and, and honor you. We can't do that. So it's a choice really that we're going to have to make uh, to begin with. We're going to say, Father, I will honor you. I will honor your name above the name of this virus, above the name of this calamity or destruction that's coming on. Father, I believe you and I will dwell in your secret place. I will dwell in Christ and be safe. It's going to be that simple. We're going to have to make the choice. Will we fear God or fear this thing that's going on in the land? Now, it sounds simple and it is challenging, but we can do it by the grace of God. Remember, you are never alone. You are never alone. So make your confession today. Father, I honor you. I will not honor this thing. Now, of course, wash your hands, take a bath, do everything that you have to do in order to do what you have to do. That's fine. But at the same time, don't honor the fear. Honor the God 
who is above all. Honor the Lord Jesus. He's with you. He's with you right now. So let's go back and we're going to go ahead and read verses 1 through 16 of Psalm 91. Remember, this is the protective Psalm. After we do that, then we will take up, I believe, I believe we stopped at verse number 7. And uh, we'll go to verse 8 and see how far we can go today. All right, let's go. All right, Psalm 91, verse number 1 reads like this. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress. My God in him will I trust. Surely he shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. He shall cover thee with his feathers and under his wings shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flieth by day, nor for the pestilence that walketh in darkness, nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. A thousand shall fall at thy side and 10,000 at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. And really, we stop there in verse number seven. So verse eight is where we're going to pick up on today. So let's go ahead and read. We're going to go ahead and read verse eight through 16. But I want to just bring that to attention to your attention. Verse eight says, only with thine eyes shalt thou behold and see the reward of the wicked, because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the most high thy habitation. There shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. Thou shalt tread upon the lion and adder, the young lion and the dragon shalt thou trample under feet. Verse 14, because he hath set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high because he hath known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. Glory to God. All right, I'm ready to get into verse eight. I hope that you are too. And again, thank you so much for joining me. Oh yes, and don't forget to partner with me. Just go to the website at uh, kingdomrock.org and you can click on the give button and become a partner. However you want to give or how little or how much, just let the Lord lead you. But whatever you do, we really do appreciate it. I really do appreciate your encouragement and taking a part in this and helping me um, in this work today, keeping these videos going. It's a great work and I appreciate you. All right, verse number eight. And it says, only with thine eyes shalt thou behold and see the reward of the wicked. All right. So here's the scene. We have just read a thousand falling at our side and 10,000 at our right hand, but it shall not come near you. We've also read about uh, terror by night and arrows that fly uh, during the day and pestilence that walk in darkness. There's a lot of bad stuff going on. But we know from verse number one that we are in God's secret place. We are in Christ and we are kept safe. And we know that Jesus gives us access to the shadow of the most high. And we know that the word shadow uh, talks about the Lord's protection, 
rather his, his favor, first and foremost, his favor, his presence, his protection, and his provision. All of that is in the Father's shadow, so we're good to go. Now that, now that we see all these things are happening, bad stuff is happening, we see it on the news and, and, and we hear it about it during conversation and we see it in social media, verse 8 tells us, again, how far we are removed from it. Uh, we will not be directly affected by this, but indirectly we are affected. You know, it says again, only with thine eyes shalt thou behold and see the reward of the wicked. So that tells you that we are removed from it. But even though you're not contracting the virus and or the plague or the danger that's going around and God's angels, and I cannot wait to get to that. God's angels have encircled you, made a hedge about you, and they are protecting you. And even though, like in the book of Exodus, I believe the 12th chapter, Jesus said that he is basically, he is the Passover lamb. You know, he fulfills the Passover. And what the Lord told them was that you guys stay in the house and you eat the flesh of the lamb and you apply his blood to the doorposts and sideposts of your home. And when that destroyer comes through the land, it will pass over. It'll pass over your home. It will actually spring over the word there. It'll spring over your home and the plague will not enter in to destroy you. We see that that wonderful picture that Jesus gives us again. He is our refuge and our fortress. He keeps us safe. So even though that is not coming into our home, so we're not directly affected, but indirectly we are. When people go into the grocery store and they buy up all their toilet paper or they they buy up other things and we go and say, hey, it's not there. Or people get in a panic. They go and they buy all the gas and you go to the pump and now the gas is a higher price. It will indirectly affect us. But even in that, the Lord will have you covered because he is your provider. He is your provision. So you still don't have to worry. Just keep your faith and trust in him. Remember, Jesus is your shepherd and you shall not want. Hallelujah. All right. All right. So let's look at this again in verse number eight. He says, only with your eyes shall you behold and see the reward of the wicked. All right. So here's a scene. It's like we're uh, it's like we're in a bunker of, or some sort. It, you, you've seen those type of movies when they're testing bombs or testing sort of uh, some sort of weapon and the generals or the officials, they're in some type of an enclosed structure, some fortified place. And they may have a, a glass or they may have monitors there in front of them. And someone sets the bomb off way over yonder somewhere, way out there somewhere, they, they set it off. And so that they, they can see from the monitors or, or through the glass, they can see the destructive nature of the bomb or of the weapon exploding. They can see it, they can behold and see the destructive nature of it, but they are unaffected. Make sense? They can behold and see but they are unaffected. So just hold that picture in your thought now and let's get back to the verse. Because the word behold there means to, to regard, to pay attention to, it means to consider. So they're looking, they're considering what's happening, but they are unaffected. 
it says, the Bible says that they will behold and see. The word see means to look at, it means to watch, it means to learn about, it means to discern. Listen to that. So they're learning about it, right? As they have their binoculars or, or maybe they're looking through the, through the monitor. They see it and uh, they're discerning it. They're considering what is happening, but they are unaffected in their fortified area. You see what's going on? All right, so we, we gave the scenario of the bomb going off and they're watching it, but let's look at what the verse is saying here with that same picture. The Bible says, only with thine eyes shalt thou behold and see, what? The reward. The reward. Now, the word reward here talks about retribution. Retribution there uh, in the Hebrew. And retribution means punishment inflicted on someone as vengeance for a wrong, for a wrong or a criminal act. Retribution. Or we can say they will receive what's coming to them. You've heard people say that they'll get, you'll get what's coming to you. You'll get it. Well, the Bible says that we will behold and see the reward, the retribution or the requital, we can also say, of the wicked, of the wicked. Now, let's look at that for a moment. We're going to see and behold the reward of the wicked. Now, that has to mean, too, that we are not a part of the reward of the wicked. So we'll talk about that as we go on down. Let me give you two verses that really talk about, really talk about uh, the reward of the wicked. Now we can go into Romans 6, Romans 6, 23. Listen to this one verse, Romans 6, 23. And it says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. The wages of sin wages of sin so, or the reward of sin, right? That is, you put your time in it, you're going to have to get paid for it. You know, it, it, or you've heard people say, what goes around comes around. It, it's, you're going to have to reap it. You're going to have to, you sow it, you're going to have to reap it. Okay, that's, that's what that's talking about. Uh, and what we'll also find out here too, let me show you one more, Galatians, the sixth chapter. Now this has a very happy ending, a very happy ending. So, so hang with me. Okay. Hang with me. Uh, Galatians, the sixth chapter, verse number seven says, be not deceived. God is not mocked for whatsoever a man soweth that shall he also reap that shall he also reap. Now, so we talked about the word reward. Now let's talk about the word wicked, the reward of the wicked. Now, the word wicked means, now, now listen to this because this is very peculiar. The word wicked here means the guilty one. It means criminal, one guilty of crime. You got that? So the word wicked means the guilty one, criminal, one guilty of crime. So. We get, a, we get a picture, once again, of some sort of courtroom type of scenario. And the word wicked, you will see, you will behold and see the reward of the wicked. This talks about someone who has already been to court and the judge has already put his gavel down and said guilty. 
Wicked meaning guilty one. This person is criminal. Um, this person is guilty of the crime. So the judge has weighed the evidence. Maybe the jurors have had something to say or whatever, but all the evidence is in. And this person has been found guilty of the crime. So we can actually say you will see, rather you will behold and see the reward of the guilty, of the guilty. All right. So I love that. And, and that actually makes it a little bit easier for us. You will behold and see the reward of the guilty. So here's a person that has already been to court and they have that sentence over their head as guilty, as guilty. All right. Now, there is a way to get that verdict reversed in our lives. Now, we're going to get to that as we go on, because this is wonderful. But before we get to uh, getting that verdict reversed, I want to take a little trip about uh, a little trip uh, and a little word study on the word wicked. I really like to find out where it was first mentioned in the Bible. And of course, it's first mentioned in the Old Testament. So where is it mentioned first in the Old Testament? Where is it mentioned first in the New Testament? And where is it and when is the last instance of it? We're going to see by doing that. I mean, this is phenomenal. Almost every time, if not every time I've done this, it's like breaking a secret code or something. Almost every time I've done this, if not every single time, it has always been the, the same theme of the word all the way throughout Scripture. So let's do this in order to find out what the Bible means by the word wicked. All right. So let's go into the book of Genesis, the sixth chapter. This is where we're going to find the first instance of the word wicked. Genesis six verses four, five and six. Let's look at this. We'll find out that this is when uh, the Bible says the sons of God uh, came unto the daughters of men. Sons of God were those fallen angels. All right. And they saw the women. They saw human women. Uh, and they came in unto them and they had children. And those children, I believe scholars call them Nephilim, the, the, the child of that, of that union, of that ungodly union, uh, were found to be wicked. Matter of fact, let's go ahead and read it. All right, so let's go. Genesis 6, verses uh, 4 through 6, it says, There were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that. When the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men and they bear children to them, the same became mighty men, which were of old men of renown. Now listen to verse five. And God saw that the wickedness of men was great in the earth and that every imagination of the faults of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him at his heart. So notice it says, and God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. All right. So here again, the first instance of corruption here is when man associates or, or partners with with the devil, really, with evil spirits, and it produces wickedness. Again, when man 
cooperates or partners with the devil, it's going to produce something wicked. All right. And so we see the, the whole earth then became uh, became uh, contaminated uh, by this. But of course, one one line or one man did not or was not contaminated by this. And that was the man Noah. He was perfect in his generations, meaning that his line was not contaminated by this demonic seed. But everybody else on the planet, wicked, wicked. Why were they wicked? Because of that ungodly union between angelic or demonic, or we can say demonic, and man. When those two come together, wickedness will be produced. Let's see if it, let's see if it catches or, or, or do we have that same flow as we go into the New Testament? So the first instance of the word wicked in the New Testament is found there in Matthew, the 12th chapter. Matthew 12, let's look at verse 44 and 45. He says, then he saith, I will return to my house from whence I came out. And when he is come, he findeth it empty, swept and garnished. All right. So we're talking about demonic possession already. Demon possession. A demon has inhabited someone, uh, but he is cast out in the name of Jesus. He is cast out. But then he comes back seeking to repossess uh, this person. Let's look at verse number 45. Then goeth he and taketh with him seven other spirits more, here's the word, wicked, more wicked than himself. And they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. Even so shall it be also, rather, let me start again, even so shall it be also unto this wicked generation. So we see once again around the word wicked, even in the, the first mention in the New Testament, we see again um, demon, fallen spirit, evil spirit, trying to, uh, trying to partner with man. And when that happens, wickedness is produced. So around that word again, you find demon and man trying to partner together and it produces wickedness. I wonder, is that the same case in our last instance in the Bible, which is in 1 John, the fifth chapter, verse 18, 19, and 20. Let's look at this. It says, we know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not. Aha. Uh -huh. All right. So now Jesus has come. He has bled. He has died. He was crucified, rather crucified, died, and, and he, is, he was risen or rose up on the third day, and he's alive forevermore. And now we can be born again. Now we are born of God. And this is what this talks about. It says, whosoever is born of God sinneth not, or whoever is born again, whoever has believed in Jesus, okay? And uh, the word sinneth there means to continue to sin. That's another Bible study altogether. Whoever is born of God uh, it says again, we know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not or does not continue in sin, does not practice that sin. It says, but he talking about Jesus, but he or Jesus, uh, but he that is begotten of God, that's Jesus, the only begotten son of God, uh, keepeth himself. He actually, Jesus keeps us. That's what this verse talks about. If you're born of, if you're born again or born of God, Jesus keeps you. And then it says, and the wicked one toucheth him not. 
and the wicked one touches him not. So we still see here that here's the wicked fallen spirit. And in this case, the wicked one refers to the devil still trying to partner with man, still trying to influence man to bring about some form of wickedness. But in this case, because of Jesus, the devil cannot he cannot connect with man. He cannot partner with man to produce the wicked one or, or to produce wickedness because Jesus is there. The Bible says again, uh, it says, and that wicked one toucheth him not. So in Genesis, the evil definitely touched man and uh, men became wicked. And then in Matthew, we saw that that demon demon possession. That's definitely a touching of man. But here, because of Jesus, the enemy toucheth him not. The enemy cannot get through the barrier called Jesus Christ to get to us on the other side. Hallelujah. Now, that doesn't mean that you're not going to mess up or that you're not going to fall short. No, it doesn't mean that. But it means that the devil can't get his hands around you anymore to produce wickedness out of your life. Hallelujah. It doesn't mean that you're not going to sin. Unfortunately, uh, as we're still in a state of immaturity, but it does mean that he can't, that the enemy cannot get his hands around you to produce wickedness out of your life. All right. Let's look at the next verse here. Um, in the, and the Lord says here, verse number 19, and we know that we are of God and the whole world lieth in wickedness. And we know that the son of God is come and hath given us an understanding that we may know him that is true. And we are in him that is true, even in his son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. All right. So it seems as though that the definition of wicked um, or how it's used from Genesis uh, to Matthew to the end of the book in first John, we see that it, it holds its same definition. So we can say that the wicked are those who knowingly or unknowingly participate because I'm saying unknowingly, possibly with this possession that we talked about in Matthew there. I, I, I don't know if people will knowingly give themselves over to the enemy or sometimes that is the case, unfortunately. But let's just keep it simple. Wickedness comes about when man connects with the devil and the outcome is wickedness. Uh, you think to yourself, have you ever uh, partnered with the devil or connected with evil and uh, produce um, some sort of wickedness in your life? We, we got to, we're going to have to say yes on that, because anytime an evil thought has come your way or maybe you've been disobedient to God or or maybe you maybe the Lord told you to do something and you didn't do it. And it brought about something wicked. It brought about something that was um, rebellious toward the things of God. So if we were to keep bringing about these things, if we if we were to continue to connect or partner with the devil, then I would say this, those who continue to do that will ultimately find themselves an enemy of God. But again, if you are born of God, the devil can't connect with you. 
He can't connect with you. Why? Because Jesus, he that is begotten of God, talking about the Lord Jesus. See, we are born of God, but Jesus was the only begotten of God. Are you hearing me? He, Jesus is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. And we are born of God. We are born of God. We are born again through Christ Jesus. So again, when the Bible says that in First um, John, the fifth chapter, it's talking about Christ Jesus. That, that's what I really wanted to bring to your attention and, and how Jesus is that barrier. Again, from Psalm 91, he is our safe place. He is our fortress and all that evil is on the outside and it cannot penetrate Christ. It cannot break through to you. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. Well, I've heard somebody say, well, what if I get sick and die? Well, I would rather die in faith than live in doubt or live in fear. I would rather, I would rather die knowing that I put my faith and trust in Jesus, you know, and live a peaceful, peaceful life than to cower in the corner and, you know, all those bad things go on. You know, that's just a terrible life. It's just a terrible life. So I would tell you, put your faith in Jesus. Continue to put your faith and trust in Jesus. I know sometimes it's difficult and the world may mock you or ridicule you. But you know what? You keep your peace and let them keep the chaos. Hmm? All right. All right. So let me say this in short again, uh, just in short, those uh, that are wicked are those who knowingly participate with evil. They are disobedient, rebellious and rebellious toward God. And if they continue in that same way, ultimately they will find themselves an enemy of God, an enemy. And who is God? God is good. God is love. Now, God is truth. He's light. He's just all of these things. They will find themselves an enemy on the other side of it. So we don't want to stay in that state. So let me break this down, too. And I think I've been saying it, but who are in fact the the wicked? Well, we can say either one of two things. We can say either we are or I was that. But God changed me hmm? because if God hasn't changed you, if he hasn't, if there's not another verdict over your life, then we would fall into that category. But but don't worry. This has a happy ending. This has a happy ending. We can actually we can actually go to the Lord and find a place of repentance in him to get that verdict of guilt off of your life. Because Jesus takes the guilt away. Matter of fact, Jesus took your guilt upon himself so that he could give you his innocence. Jesus, who is innocent, uh, became guilty so that the guilty could become innocent in the sight of God. Jesus fixes it. I'm telling you, the Lord fixes this. This is wonderful. Now, we know that, again, God does not take delight in the reward of the wicked because he wants he doesn't want anybody to perish, but that all should come to eternal life through Christ Jesus. Remember in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him would not perish, but have it, but have uh, everlasting life, everlasting life or eternal life. He wants you to have life. And he proved that by sending his only begotten, by sending his only begotten son into the world to save you. This is wonderful. 
Hallelujah. Now, again, I want to just make it plain who is not considered guilty, who has not received that verdict of, of condemnation over their lives. Well, let's look at it. Let's go to Romans 8, chapter, verse number one, Romans 8, verse one. And it says, there is therefore now no condemnation, no guilty verdict to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Now, why is that? Because Jesus has taken the punishment for us. We were guilty. Oh, yeah, we can say guilty as sin. There's no doubt about it. Guilty, guilty, guilty. And if it wasn't for the grace of God, we would still have that sentence over our lives. But Jesus has taken that verdict away and has granted us righteousness in the sight of God. We can find a place of repentance in him. Let's look at Acts, the eighth chapter, Acts 8. Acts 8, let's look at verses 20 through uh, 23. And this time we're going to read it uh, out of the New Living Translation. We're going to see how this reads here. Because again, you, you may say, well, I, I have not received Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Well, then according to the word of God, uh, there is still a guilty verdict over your life. Because scripture says that all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. So that means all humanity, really because of the sin of Adam, all humanity is under a guilty verdict. And there's only one way to get that guilty verdict reversed, and that is coming through the blood of Jesus. So let's talk about that very quickly. Let's go to uh, Acts, the eighth chapter. Let's talk about a man named Simon, Simon the sorcerer. He had bewitched the whole town, you know, into, uh, into thinking that he was the great, the great one. They all gave him respect or honor, you know, until, until Philip came into town. I believe it was Philip. Until Philip came into town and, and showed them the real. They all thought that this baloney was steak. <laughs> no, no, no. Until the real came. No, this is steak. And they, uh, they, they understood, oh, no, no, you're not the great thing, Simon. This man called Jesus, he's the great one. And everybody began to believe. The apostles came down and they laid their hands on people and they began to receive the Holy Spirit. Well, Simon saw that people were receiving the Spirit and he wanted to give them money. He wanted to give the apostles money so that he could get this power for himself, and then whoever he laid hands on would get the Holy Spirit too. You see, he's still trying to regain control over the town. Well, how do the apostles um, think about, what do they think about this? Let's look at it. Acts 8, verse 20 through 23, it says, But Peter replied, May your money be destroyed with you, for thinking God's gift can be bought. You can have no part in this, for your heart is not right with God. Repent of your wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps he will forgive your evil thoughts. For I can see that you are full of bitter jealousy and are held captive by sin. So we can repent. Now, this man can repent we can definitely repent of wickedness. We can, we can repent of aligning with the enemy, of connecting with him 
and producing wickedness. You know, we may have done that with, uh, and there are several examples in the word of God. As a matter of fact, Jesus gives out two parables I know wrapped up in my head of where he calls someone wicked. One was with the parable of the talents. And in the parable of, of the talents where the, the one servant that had the one talent, he went out and he dug a hole and, and he hid that talent in the ground. And when his master came back, he said, hey, here it is. Here's your talent. The master said, you wicked and slowful servant. He was disobedient. He was lazy. You know, he was, again, disobedient, lazy. He didn't do what his master wanted. Jesus said, you're wicked. And then another case um, uh, where we talk about uh, the unforgiving servant, where his master uh, forgave him a, a huge debt, a debt that could not be paid in one, one lifetime, 10 lifetimes. It couldn't be paid, couldn't be paid back. And the, and the king just frankly forgave them all. He didn't owe anything else. But that one servant went out and found somebody that owed him a few pennies, that owed him just a little bit. And uh, he picked that other servant up by the, by the throat and said, pay me. And because the other servant couldn't pay him or wouldn't pay him, he threw him into debtor's prison until he should pay him back all that was owed to him. Well, that king found out about it and called him wicked, you wicked servant. He said, I forgave you all that debt. You should have uh, forgiven him all that debt. Of course, uh, of course and after that, the king uh, threw him in prison. Why? Because not because of the original debt, the original debt had been paid, but now this was an offense to the crown. He had offended the king. And for that crime, you're going to stay in there. So the Lord called that man wicked because he refused to forgive. So, you know, there can be other times in our lives when we, of course, don't forgive people. Maybe we hurt people and uh, they have hurt us too. Yes. But we have done some things, we've thought evil things, and we've done some wicked, evil things. But the Lord forgives if we just simply come to him. As a matter of fact, let's go ahead and read. I want to read Romans, the third chapter, Romans, third chapter, verse 23 through 26. And I just want to read it. I want you to see it for yourself, the mercy of God and how it plays out uh, for your life and mine, too. All right. Because all have sinned and have come short of the glory of God. That's also in Romans, the third chapter, I believe. All of us have messed up. All of us uh, at one point in our lives have been considered wicked. If you have received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you're born, born again, then what we're going to see here in Romans, the third chapter, is that God has reversed it. You're no longer wicked. You're no longer guilty. But Jesus has made you innocent, holy, and acceptable in the sight of God. So if you have not received him as your Lord and Savior, if you're still on the fence, please listen to this. And we're going to just and we're going to begin to close out in just a second. So listen to this. Romans, the third chapter, verse 23 through 26. And it says this. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. For he did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair 
when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just. And listen to this very next part. Are you ready? This is so good. And he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. So there you have it. When you believe in Jesus, you cease to be the wicked. You cease to be uh, the guilty, the criminal in the eyes of God. But you become righteous. You are in right standing with God. So as it goes, as we take it right on back to the very beginning in verse number eight, and I think that's all we're going to do today. As we go back to verse eight, in verse eight, let me find my verse eight. I don't want to say it. I want to say, I'm sure I could quote it, but verse eight says, only with thine eyes shalt thou behold and see the reward of the wicked. And we know, again, we've already read that um, the Lord has vengeance, but he doesn't take joy in extracting that vengeance. And we know that the wages of sin is death. Remember, God is love. He's life, but he's also the just judge. He's also the just judge. And every sin has a penalty. And if your sins have not been paid for in the body of Jesus, then you'll have to pay for your own sins. If Jesus has not taken your place as the guilty in your place, then you will have to do it yourself. Somebody's got to pay for the sin. Somebody's got to do the time for the crime. Well, God loved you so much that he sent his son to do it in your place. And Jesus not only died for you, he actually died as you. He not only rose from the grave for you, you rose with him. And now you are seated in Christ in heavenly places at the right hand of God, all because of Jesus. This is why we say that uh, we are not saved by works, we're saved by grace. We're saved by faith through grace, by grace through faith in the finished work of Jesus. He has done it all for us. And this is why we're so grateful to Jesus, forever grateful for the work that he's done for us. We love you so much, Lord Jesus. We love you. All right, so this is the end of our program for today. This is far we're gonna go. Next time when we meet, we'll hop on over to verse number nine, I believe. Yes, verse number nine, and we'll go even further. But before we go, if you've never received Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior, well, now is the time to do it. There's no magical prayer. There's no special sauce. You just simply have to believe. Believe that he paid the price for your sins. Believe that Jesus, as the Lamb of God, was God's sacrifice for you. The Bible also declares that he is the scapegoat. You've heard of that term before, where the crime is blamed on someone else. Someone else did it, but they pent the crime on someone else, and that someone else went to jail for it. They paid the price when the other person went scot-free. Well, Jesus was like that for you and I as well. 
but he did that willingly. He took the, the wrath of God upon himself willingly. It was the Father's will for him to do that. Remember, he was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he, he prayed, Father, if there's another way, I mean, you can do anything, Father. If there's another way, let this cup pass from me. But there was no, there was no other way. And God loved you so very much that he allowed his son to bear the totality of his wrath, all the wrath that God had for you and I, all his anger, all of the, the, the criminal judgments that were supposed to be on us, it all fell upon Jesus upon the cross. And now Jesus on the cross, he bled and he died and he went to the lower parts of the earth and he burned up our sins in the lake of fire. And then the third day he, he rose, he rose. And now he's perfectly accepted, perfectly whole, perfectly righteous in the sight of God. So perfect that he went up and sat down at the right hand of God. That tells you there that there is no more sin on him, none whatsoever. And we know when that sin transferred, when your sin and my sin transferred upon him, when he was on the cross, he said, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? At that point there, the father's never forsaken the son, not ever. But when the sin came upon him, when Jesus became the sin offering, the father is absolutely holy, absolutely righteous. And there was no, there's no fellowship with light and darkness. So Jesus at that point became our sin offering. And he did that for you and I. Jesus, perfectly innocent, became guilty so that the guilty could become innocent. So today, if you've not known Jesus as your Lord and Savior, just pray this simple prayer with me. Just say, Father, I come to you, a sinner in need of a Savior. I believe in Jesus and I accept him as my sin offering. I accept him as my Messiah as my savior. And I say, come into my life, Lord Jesus, live in me, make me yours. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and help me to live right before the Father. And I will serve you all the days of my life as you show me how. As of this moment, I repent of my sins and I turn to you and I thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, my friend, if you've just prayed that prayer with me or something like that, and you believe in Christ now, you've received him, you understand, have faith in what he did. I will tell you, welcome to the family of God. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. Welcome, welcome, welcome. All right, so make sure you share your testimony with us on the website. Just go to the contact page and type it in there and just let us know that you made a decision today for Christ. That would really warm our hearts more than anything more than anything. I look forward to being back with you on next time when we will go into verse nine and sooner or later we'll get to verse number 16. Until next time, remember Jesus loves you and so do we. Choose him as your Lord today, only he can make a way. I'll see you next week.